We continue with part two of our interview with Eric Johnson as we discuss his new book, Introducing Christianity to Mormons, next on Polygamy. What love is this? Eric Johnson is our returning guest this time, and we are reviewing his latest book, Introducing Christianity to Mormons, and we want to welcome you back, and your book, I believe, was released just a few days ago. Yes, it's available online at uh, your favorite online retailer. I hope that people will want us to read this. You can go to the website, introducingchristianity.com, and it has links to all the places you can buy it. And that's great. That's a great book. We talk, did part one where we've gone through some of the, I think, the first two chapters uh, talking about the reliability of the Bible. Um, but before we get started on the chapter three question, is this book meant to be more for Christians or for those in the Mormon religion? Well, it certainly is meant for Christians because it's published by Harvest House, a Christian publisher. I'm okay. not going to sell very many books that way to Latter-day Saints. However, be, while it's made for the Christian reader, I'm hoping that it's a book that could be offered to be given away to a Latter-day Saint who is struggling, asking mm -hmm. questions, wanting to know more about what you believe as a Christian, or has left the church because so many people end up leaving Mormonism and they head toward nothing, right. which I think this is a breeding ground, Mormonism, for creating atheists. Uh, it really is. Mm -hmm. and, and same with polygamy. It is exactly the same thing. And so, so at least give yourself the, uh, um, the ability to look at another faith. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right. I always right. like to say. Right. Uh, so often they just throw God and Jesus out of the door, even though they once believed in God and claimed that Jesus was their Savior. And that's kind of the topic, of what you're talking about in chapter 3. It's entitled, The Existence of God, Reasonable Reasons for Belief. Um, and Mormons, as well as Christians, believe in God. We, they, we all believe in the existence of God. But, but what we don't agree about is who God is and how many gods exist. Um, the, we'll talk about God, Christians will, in our own personal testimony to others. Um, but people will criticize us sometimes and say, well, all you're doing is having blind faith. Um, I want to quote from page 77 that says, quote, Christians are often accused of taking a blind leap into the dark. For me, however, I found the evidence for Christianity powerful and convincing. So when I became a Christian, I hadn't leapt blindly into the dark, but stepped into the light. I love that. And, and the key word here, too, is evidence, I believe. And we talked about a little bit about that time. So why is having faith in God not an exercise in blind faith? Well, because we, ha we want to look at the evidence, and that's what I'm, I'm going to try to do in chapter 3, is lay out some reasoning. Uh, because reason is, is, some people would say that sounds like a secular humanist idea, that, that you're going to be a rationalist, for instance. No, I'm not saying that at all, but as I said previously, you look both ways before you cross the street, mm -hmm. because that's the evidence. There's no cars coming. I can cross the street. It's, it's a simple. safe way to do it. <laughs> and, and so in the same way, I think we need to be willing to say, okay, Maybe I've left Mormonism. And by the way, according to this book, uh, The Next Mormons, and I'm not here to promote her book, but Jana Reese is a Mormon blogger. And uh, in Oxford, it's a scholarly book in 2019, and she 
did a number of surveys. One of the surveys was trying to find out where do people go after they leave Mormonism. 45% go to atheism, agnosticism, or nothing at all. Mm -hmm. Another 21% call themselves just Christian. They're moralistic. They don't commit murder. They haven't gone to any church or anything, but mm -hmm. they're just Christian. That's two out of three people. Only one-third of people who leave Mormonism then head toward any kind of a religion. Now, out of that, evangelical Christianity, total of 10% if you cross the board. 10%, one out of 10 people. So unfortunately, for many of those people, and I talk to them all the time, people who have just left the church. Uh, I just talked a month ago, and I had three different couples, all of them who had just left in the past year, all of them claiming to be atheists. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so I, I like to ask the question, do you know definitively that God does not exist? Didn't you believe in God before uh, when you were a Latter-day Saint? Of course we did. Well, what's the difference? Well, why, why would you deny him now? Well, because religion has burned me. Well, that's what religion does, Doris. Yep. It has a way of taking your hopes and dashing them because mm -hmm. it's based on man. And I said, just because man has done this to you doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. And that's my, my main plea in chapter three for somebody who is doubting in God because they got burned in a religion like Mormonism or any kind of polygamous group. And that's group. especially true in polygamy because mm -hmm. they're terribly burned there. Mm -hmm. Now you, were, you list three favorite reasons that you like to use to explain to a skeptic why God exists. And you, you just explained some of it. But the first one is creation of the universe mm -hmm. uh, points to an eternal God. And the second one is the design of the universe uh, displays the magnificence of God. The third one says morality points to the justice of God. Now, to use one of your own discussion questions, what does the moral argument have to say about the evidence of God. What has that got to do with it? Well, uh, I think probably nobody has done it better than C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. He spent a whole section on the moral argument. You can't have good without having an ultimate lawgiver, somebody who's ultimately good. And so basically what the argument says is, where do we get our sense of right and wrong from? Because truth doesn't change. And so if, some, if murder is wrong, it's wrong today as much as it was wrong yesterday or a thousand years ago. Exactly. And, and so when we take a look at the moral argument, there has to be an outside source for that. C.S. Lewis did it so brilliantly. I encourage people to read Mere Christianity because I think it's a book that besides the Bible has led more people to the Christian faith through that basic idea that there's something outside of us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. Now, one of the things that's very close to my own heart is those who uh, leave either the LDS religion or the, more, the Mormon fundamentalists is that they leave and then reject everything that has to do, like you said, throw the baby out with the bath water because they have been abused. And as, again, especially the polygamy groups, but the, even Mormonism abuses the authority of God. Men abuse that authority, and so they've been burned with it. And, and so anyone who may be watching this, I urge you to get this book and read this chapter, especially, if nothing else, read this chapter so that you can get a grip on the fact that God does exist, and He's good. It was men, people who did these things to you. It wasn't God, and God is against this kind of treatment. Chapter four uh, is the nature of God, attributes worthy of worship. And this is one of the primary differences in Mormonism and Christianity. Uh, believing in God is very important, but what we believe about him is no less important. Um, the chapter preview says, and I quote, 
The Bible denies that God was once a sinful human or has a body of flesh and bones. Instead, he existed as God before the creation and will remain as the only God throughout eternity. Why is having the right understanding of God like this so important? Well, if you have the wrong God, you have the wrong gospel. And we talked about that in the last show in, in Galatians chapter 1, 8, and 9. I mean, think about who Paul was talking to in the book of Galatians. He was talking to people who called themselves Christians, and they just, they believed in God. They believed in Jesus. They just said, well, you have to get, uh, you have to obey the dietary law, and you have to be circumcised. And he says, no. And I think that if something as simple as those two items yeah. is going to be called another gospel, it's possible to have another Jesus. Second Corinthians 11, exactly 4 teaches us true. that. Mm -hmm. so, so all of these things are crucial if we're, going to, um, if we're going to have a right relationship with God. So believing him to be once a human being on another world, where that world was, we don't know, a God who once worshipped another God, yeah. and the idea that I can become as God, I won't become him, but I will become as he is, that is uh, anathema. The Bible teaches that. And when we talk about only one possible way. Either gravity exists or it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Either the Christian God exists or it doesn't exist, but you can't have it be where, where it doesn't matter what you believe because the Bible is very clear that a belief in, in God is the only way to have salvation. And having that relationship with Jesus, who's yeah, the only yeah. way, truth, and life, right. nobody comes to the Father except through Him. And He said, if you don't believe I am who I claim to be, yep. you'll die in your sins. Exactly right. You're unforgiven. So, again, this is a very important chapter. And there's no room, right, for, comprom for compromise or misinterpretation. I have talked to people who say, there's not another Jesus. The Mormons have the same Jesus. They just know, think different things about him, but it's not all that important. But it is important, isn't it? It is, and I think that's why we have to ask a Latter-day Saint, not assume what he or she believes, not tell them what they believe, but ask them, what do you believe about Jesus? And they'll yeah. tell you, well, Jesus is my Savior. They'll give you generic things. Right. But you have to learn how to ask more pointed questions. Do you believe that Jesus had a beginning? Mm -hmm. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that he had a beginning. Do you believe you can pray to Jesus? Well, we pray in his name, they'll say. Well, that's not the same. Stephen said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And, and so we can pray to him. And you can just go down the line and say, no, these things do matter. And if Mormonism is true, then by definition, I'm wrong. And I will become Mormon if that's the case. But I have looked at the evidence yeah, and I believe right. that, that uh, it's only possible. Truth is very narrow. And, and uh, it's not something that uh, I don't believe that always lead to God. And um, the, uh, it's also just as important that there's no other gods. Yeah. You know, that, that there's only one God. I was taught Jesus learned how to be God. And, and the last test that he had to go through to become a god was crucifixion. Hmm. Um, and then he earns his godhood through all of that. But it's important to know that that it, that's not true, that God, it, he didn't learn how to be God, and there are no other gods, that, and we can become a god. That's very basic Mormon doctrine. It, it is with polygamous, big time. Yeah, uh, and the idea that God changes. Yeah. Uh, um, Malachi 3.6 says, no, God yeah. does not change. And if God has always been God, Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, he's, if you will, to say it in a um, crude way, he's the big kahuna. He's the yep. top dog, mm -hmm. and, and anybody under him is a false god. We can have other gods, 
But if they're not the true God, I want nothing to do with those no. other gods. I want only what is reality. Only what's really. And as, as Isaiah said, come, let's reason together. Let's be reasonable. Right. Um, again, I'm going to use one of your discussion questions at the end of chapter 4. What is anthropomorphism? When the Bible uses human characteristics to describe God, how should this be properly interpreted? Because we know they use the argument, well, he's nostrils and he sees and hears and smells and all that. But also, is he a bird? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because the Bible says that he has wings and he brings his children together, Jerusalem. I, I, you know, here's the thing. The Bible uses language that we can understand. Isn't that special? Yes, it God is. God doesn't just talk in some highfalutin language that we have no clue as to what he's talking about. And so he'll use anthropomorphism. Anthro is the Greek uh, prefix for man and the form of man, morph. And mm -hmm. so anthropomorphism is when God is made to look like a man. He's not literally with a body of flesh and bones, with the nostrils, that, you know, that, that he has eyes or ears. But it's used to help us better understand, understand who God him is. And relate to him in that, in that way. But uh, what does it mean then that we're created in his image? Well, and, and this is a spiritual image. In, 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 uh, when it, I mean, the idea that God uh, wants, we don't look like him. We don't have the eyes and the nose and the mouth uh, in the same way that, you know, a human to God. However, we're created in the Imago Dei is, is how the Latin is, that uh, we have a desire to have a relationship. God has a re wants to have a relationship as well. And so we respond to his mm -hmm. offer of being able to be with him forever in heaven. And mm -hmm. so the Imago Dei, we reflect God in so many ways, just the idea that we will live with him eternally. I, I mean, we don't create that in any way. That's something that he's provided and a desire, I believe, a hole in everybody's heart yeah. to have a relationship yeah. with what is true. Yeah. Everybody's looking for it in the wrong places mm -hmm. out there in the world. The broad to destruction is is wide, the Bible says. The path to, to, to heaven is, is very narrow. And so understanding that God is our, it should be our goal mm -hmm. in, in life. Mm -hmm. You write about God uh, attributes that you write about him as being both holy and just. Yeah. Holy that he can't tolerate sin and just that he made a way for us to be with him despite the fact that we are sinners. And actually that's the basis for our eternal salvation is that he made that way. How did he make that way? What did he do so that he could justify, still remain holy, and justify sinners? Well, and, and then here's the thing. You have decisions. You know, when you... Uh, receive the Lord, you accept him into your life, you, you've accepted life. That is a choice that you make. Uh, those who reject, broad is that road I was talking about. Mm -hmm. But the problem we have, Doris, is Romans 3.23, all have sinned and oh. fall short of God's glory. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. If it were a period at the end of that, there's no hope at all. Exactly. But there's a comma, yeah. but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So when mm -hmm. we understand what was provided, and it's just a matter of receiving him. So somebody who's a former Mormon who's left and is bitter, angry, doesn't believe in God, ask yourself, how do you know that mm -hmm. you might not be, you might be missing the, uh, what God has done? And I've had, I had a former Mormon ask me, why did he make me go through uh, 80 years of being a Latter-day Saint. I know somebody who was 80 years mm. a Latter-day Saint and they ended up leaving. How, why did he let me do that? I said, maybe that was the only way for you to be, come into relationship he knows the right with him. Time. So he knows you just, the right God's time. sovereign and we're yeah. not. Yeah. 
And he knows the the end from the beginning and everything in between. I often wondered that after I became a Christian. Mm -hmm. Why did you wait so long? Uh, you know? <laughs> but look where you're but at today. Knows. And look yeah. at the influence you're able to have. It's well, amazing how God uses us as long as we're willing to be used. Uh, God's grace, God's grace. And the and the beauty of it is that his he he justifies us only because our sin was paid for. Yes. But it wasn't paid for by us. It was paid for by Jesus. It was paid on the cross. The Bible is yeah. very clear. You read the book of Romans and it explains how, uh, how that happened. And that yeah. Jesus, um, well, it says in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus being in very nature God, yeah. did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he humbled himself and he took on a human body. Mm -hmm. God became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1, 14. That is the most amazing thing, that God would even yeah. care for us. And, you know, people talk about God's fairness. Well, you know what would be really fair is that everybody goes to hell. Yeah. So, so when I receive eternal life, that really isn't fair. That's if you right. wanted the justice That's part right. of it. But God also has provided, he's made a provision for us to be able to receive him. Mm -hmm. And that's, you see, God is just, but he also is a God of mercy. He's yeah. a God of grace. He's a God of love. And I love when you put it all together. I know. That's, that's the beauty of the Christian gospel. Mm -hmm. uh, chapter 5, you've entitled Jesus, Savior of His People. Quote from the chapter preview, Every person must decide what to do with Jesus. Is He Lord, liar, legend, or lunatic? Even for those who do not call Him Lord in this world, there will be a day of reckoning. I repeat the question that we asked about God, only this time it's going to be about Jesus. Why is it so important to have the biblical Jesus as Savior? Is there room to adjust? Well, a lot of, of people, yeah, a lot of people have an idea of Jesus. The Muslims call him one of the greatest uh, prophets, peace be upon him, one of the nine greatest. Uh, my Hare Krishna friends, they say, well, Jesus was a great guru. You can make Jesus into anyone you want. Yeah. You can turn him into something that he really wasn't. And yeah. that's the problem. Because the Bible says, I quoted it earlier, 2 Corinthians 11, 4, if you have a false Jesus, it's like having no Jesus whatsoever. And so we have to disseminate we have to wade through all the different ideas out there about who Jesus is. And we have to say, which one was he? Mm -hmm. He was the God-man, the God in the flesh who died for our sins. And through a relationship with the true Jesus, we can have, uh, we can have uh, heaven. We can be with him for eternity. Mm -hmm. But th this is where the Bible says we have to test everything, make sure that what we believe is actually all. based on the truth. That's right. And, and to 2 Corinthians 11.4, that it is possible to believe in another Jesus, yep. which Paul condemns. Yes, he uh, it, did. We cannot adjust who Jesus is. Paul condemns the fact that people do the the important differences. He's God. God became flesh, um, and He sacrificed for us to save sinners. God, God, you know what really excited me when I became a Christian is that God is so good. He's so wonderful. He's so beautiful, and He knows it. He's the best thing in the universe, and he's the best thing for us, and he knows it, and so he wants us to take him. And that's not, being, that's not being filled with pride. That's saying, I'm great, and I, want, and I know it, and I want you to know it. And he knows that we can't be fulfilled unless we acknowledge that right, fact. Right, Because look at all the unhappiness out there in the world. I People know. are trying to 
find their way to happiness and th that hole is never filled. They keep trying to fill it with other things, mm -hmm. but it can only be filled through a through true God. relationship with God Could himself. He's so great and wonderful and he, and he knows that and yeah. that's why he keeps, it's a patient mercy. I mean, there's so much about mm -hmm. it we can talk about. Okay, let's go again. To, um, you have some great charts again through your book uh, on pages 116 through 126. You talk about the LDS and the biblical positions on who Jesus is. But apart from all of that, which we've discussed briefly, Mormon leader, prophet, and President Hinckley himself said that Jesus is not the same one. If he was a prophet, then then he would know what they believe. Okay. And this goes right in with introducing Christianity to Mormons. Uh, who is this Jesus? He's the Savior, for instance. Uh, the resurrection is the next um, the next chapter six. And yeah, I wondered why you put that in there because we Mormons and Christians both believe in the resurrection. That's not something that we differ yeah, on. Yeah, kind of like chapter three, I, I think if you have one historical event that you can eliminate and get rid of Christianity, I think the resurrection is it. And I think though that there is great power in the history and the uh, veracity of the resurrection. I wanted to lay out all the possibilities because if Jesus was somebody who had his body stolen or that he swooned from the tomb, any of those other possibilities people have made throughout the years, then, then this religion doesn't work. Yeah. But Christianity yeah. is true. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, if he did as he promised in John chapter 2, verse 19, he says, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up again. Amen. It was Jesus who raised him up from the dead, and yet Acts 3.15 says God, the Father, yeah, raised him from the right. dead. And Romans 8.11 says that the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. So God, through the Trinity, uh -huh. raised him from the dead, a miracle that can never be repeated. Exactly true, exactly true. And, of course, the, the resurrection has different meanings uh, as far as what their doctrines of salvation are compared to ours. Um, one of the greatest witnesses to the trustworthiness of the Bible is that fulfilled prophecy. And we briefly touched on that before. But only God knows coming events. And he, God, Jesus himself prophesied that he would die and be resurrected. He did. And I, I think when you, t when you understand how the disciples did not understand that until after. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. how much plainer, when we read it in John, uh -huh. I, I love being able to, uh, to uh, look at it after the fact. It's easy for us to say, well, Thomas, how dumb of you not to be <laughs> able to see that Jesus was God. But if we were in that situation, can you imagine how difficult it would be? Hey, but here yeah. Jesus is making a prophecy. And here's the fascinating thing. The disciples didn't understand it. But the Jewish leaders did. That's why they said, we're going to hire a guard, because this man said he would, he would be raised from the dead, so we're going to prevent that from happening. And mm -hmm. through their best efforts, they could not keep Jesus in the grave. That's like coming after him when they arrested him with clubs and swords. I mean, if he was God Almighty and wanted to wield his power, those swords and clubs would yep. have meant nothing. Right. <laughs> Um, instead of the cross, Mormonism emphasizes the Garden of Gethsemane. Even wearing a cross uh, by many, many people in Mormonism is considered offensive, but that's not the biblical view. How did the Apostle Paul view the importance of the cross? He said, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And so it's a symbol. 
we, uh, we don't worship the cross in any stretch of the imagination, but we do believe that there's power as far as a symbol that uh, Jesus died on that cross to forgive us of our sins. It's his blood, according to the mm -hmm. book of Hebrews, goes through and explains that is the case. I like to wear a cross, as I know you do too, mm -hmm. Doris, because mm -hmm. I think that symbol is more powerful than a Moroni on top of Amen. the temple. It's more powerful than, I don't know how you would depict the Garden of Gethsemane. See, the Garden of Gethsemane was mere perspiration, yep. but a true sacrifice did not happen unless there was expiation. A death had to take place. Mm -hmm. And so I disregard what Latter-day Saint leaders have said, that the garden is more important. I say it's the cross. It is the cross. And, and the Bible says it's the cross. Right. And 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I think you quote that too, is for I, Paul said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. crucified. Yes. Not not praying in the garden, but being crucified. Mm -hmm. And one of the main topics, the differences in Christianity versus Mormonism is chapter 7, the Trinity. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we don't have time to go through big detail on this, but you quote 2 Corinthians 13, 14. I think this is an interesting verse. The great Paul's closing a letter and he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. How does this verse verify the Trinity? Well, I, all three persons are talked about there and all are considered equal. It's one of those little gifts that are yeah, given to us because the yeah. word Trinity is in Latin. It's not found in the Bible, right. but the concept of the Trinity is there. If you look at Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, Jesus says we're supposed to go out into all the world, the Great Commission, and baptize them, he says, in the name, mm -hmm. singular, right. of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. The three persons, and it's in uh, uh, the the Greek is actually singular. Uh -huh. One name, three persons of who God is. So sometimes we get gifts like that to help us to say, uh, yeah, I don't have a word Trinity, but it the word the triunity, there. and and it's there. it's, and there's many places. And by the way, my chapter on the Trinity is very short. But I, I do give resources at the end of each chapter for people to go and look, as well as systematic theology books that I would recommend for somebody who really wants to get in and understand better what we believe. But the Trinity is one of those that in 10 pages, I'm not going to be able to fully go through well, all the things. Well, that's absolutely true. Uh, and the Trinity actually is, is difficult to understand. I understand that. Right. Um, and I've talked to p people. Uh, one particular Mormon missionary came to my door, and I'd, we talked about that. And he just mocked and laughed. Uh, well, why, who is Jesus praying to in the garden? Yep. That is one of their standard basic responses to the Trinity. Who was Jesus praying to himself in the... Uh, and, and it's a, such an easy answer, and I talk about it in the chapter. Uh, he was praying to the Father. Yeah. The Father is not the Son. Right. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. So it's three who's and one what. One what is the essence of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is a chad. Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema. It's mm -hmm. so important to us as monotheists. Mm -hmm. And yet, Jesus is fully God, but he's not the others. And, and so... And that makes sense that we're not going to fully grasp it because God is transcendent. He's above our thoughts. My ways are not your ways, yeah, he says. Yeah. And so obviously who he is is above how we can understand him. And somebody said if, if God was small enough that you could understand him, you'd just wrap him up and put him in your pocket. Uh, but he's big enough. Uh, if he's big enough... To, so you don't understand him, then he's big enough to take care of you and your problems and all of the things that's going on around you. 
And yes. I thought that was a very good answer because he is big enough to do all that. And isn't Mormonism doing that with God? Because it wants to put God almost in a box. It mm -hmm. wants to be able they to say, to explain oh, him. He, here he's a man and he was once like us and we can be like him. So simple it sounds like, but it becomes a God that almost fits my own needs. And so God takes on my image. I think that is heretical and ought to be rejected. Well, and, and God, in I think it's in Psalms, where he, um, he rebukes the Israelites when he said, you thought I was altogether like you. Mm -hmm. And he rebukes them for thinking that, mm -hmm. and we need to be uh, on, on, you know, on the same page as God. <laughs> yeah, that he's not altogether like us. Well, we're at the end of part two. There's more to go. There was so much to do that I invited Eric to come for three programs on this, and so we're going to uh, have a part three next time as we finish the interview with Eric Johnson, explaining the importance, the importance of the doctrines of Christianity in his book, introducing Christianity to Mormons. So thank you, Eric, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Doris. And thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.